Paul says in the context of material possessions that godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me ask you today, what is the one thing you should never be content with? Also, there is the unknowable will of God. In other words, nothing is written down concerning which job you're going to have, who you will marry, and all those details. So how can you know that you're moving in the right direction of the unknowable will of God? There was a man who at age 70 loved to golf. He was of sound body. He could really drive that golf ball, but he had one problem. He had poor vision. He couldn't see where the ball went. So one day he came up with a conclusion. He went to the clubhouse and he said, I'd be willing to pay someone to be my eyes. In other words, does somebody here have 20-20 vision who could tell me where the ball landed? Surprisingly, an 80-year-old man said, I have 20-20 vision and I would love the job. Both of them went out to the green. He teed off. This is a 70-year-old. Drove the ball a long way. And then he turned to the 80-year-old man and said, did you see where it went? And he said, yes, I did. Then he said, can you tell me where it went? He said, no, I can't. He said, why not? He said, I forgot. <laughs> Thankfully, the Thessalonian saints had heard and heeded the teachings of Paul during his brief stay with them. Yet, Paul charges them to increase spiritually in their walk and in their work for Jesus. Uh, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, before I read our text today, verses 1 through 8, I have a couple of questions I'd like to share with you. Number one, what should thriving spiritual Christians do to keep maturing? And number two, how are you to honor God's will for your life? First, Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his holy spirit let's pray together thank you father what a privilege to continue our series to probe into how you want us to live before you and to consider 
your will for our lives. I thank you that you reveal these things to us through your word. So help us, Lord, not only to hear, but to heed, to act upon what we learn today. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin with the word, finally. Uh, the adjective occurs 14 times from the Greek New Testament and could be translated, and now for the rest. For the rest. The rest of the story, if you will. Sometimes the rest of the story is very brief, as the term appears in 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven, with just a few verses until the letter is done. But then you also have it in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, in verse 1, where you have a full two chapters remaining. This is not a conclusion, but a movement to end the letter. And the key word, then... You got to look for your transition words, then draws upon the previous text, which is important for us to understand what we are studying today. So look at chapter three, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Chapter 3, verse 13, speaking of holiness, Paul is going to pick up on that matter here and take us forward. Notice the affectionate address here. He calls them brethren. And then we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Notice the two exhortations, if you will, urge and exhort. When you take the two terms together, it shows a strong appeal from someone who cares. As a father to a son, Paul makes this strong appeal to them. Notice to exhort them. Literally, to exhort means to be called alongside of. The idea here from chapter 4 and verse 1 is finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort. That comes from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And then there's a transition that takes place because it speaks about in the Lord Jesus. In other words, in the realm or the sphere of the Lord Jesus Christ because you belong to him. And notice here that you should abound what? More and more. This is a general exhortation appeal to be excessive. Often we get in trouble when we go to extremes or we are excessive. But Paul says here that they need to be excessive. Uh, go back with me to chapter 3 in verse 12, because the word abound means to really go beyond a set number or limit. Chapter 3, verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound, observe, in love to one another. So go beyond, exceed any fixed limits, continue to abound. And the term is used here in a general sense in chapter four in verse one, but they need to abound. And I love what it says more and more. Now come over to chapter four in verse 10, four, 10. 
And indeed, speaking here of brotherly love, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase. Notice here, more and more. So you need to love. You need to grow spiritually. How? More and more. Paul continues, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. The Thessalonians had received the instruction from Paul and Silas. Back in chapter 2 and verse 13, we see that they received, see, they took to themselves. That's the idea of the verb here to receive. They took to themselves the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received, took to themselves, the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. These Thessalonian saints had embraced, took to themselves the word of God. And over in chapter 3, now this is 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, showing some ethical guidance that Paul gives to the Thessalonian saints, 3, 6, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Some were getting lazy. They were not working at all. And Paul would say, if you don't work, you don't eat and not to associate with those kinds of believers. So. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Uh, the definite article, the, appears before the entire expression here. How you ought to walk and to please God. It brings it all together to walk. How to conduct yourself. How you should live as a child of God. A key term for the Apostle Paul. We see it back in chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Don't forget, brother and sister in Christ... That at one time you belonged to the kingdom of Satan in the kingdom of darkness, but you've been transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. We have been blessed to be called into the kingdom of God. The moment we are born again, we enter that kingdom where our God rules and reigns over all and those who belong specifically to him. So what are we to do? Walk worthy of God. And one day, God's invisible rule will become a visible rule over the world during the future kingdom, the millennial kingdom, as we learn about from Revelation chapter 20. So it's important here when we think about how to walk. Then also in first Thessalonians chapter 4, notice in verse 12, that you may walk properly 
toward those who are outside, speaking about the unsaved, and that you may lack nothing. So we need to walk worthy of God who has called us into his kingdom. We need to conduct ourselves appropriately before the unsaved world. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you remember how Jesus self identifies in John 14, 6? I am a statement of deity, the way, the way. What are we to do? We are to walk in the way, the path, the road that Jesus has paved for us. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, he who says he abides in him, see he walks with God, ought himself to walk, to live, to conduct himself as he, speaking of Jesus, walked. We are to walk in his way. He is the way. And an interesting term comes up in the book of Acts. And if you would turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 deals with the conversion of the apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 9, coming down now with me to verse 2. Because Paul was persecuting the church and asked letters from him. This would be concerning the high priest to the synagogues of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of, notice the words, the way. As Jesus self-identifies as the way, the truth, the life, later Christians were marked out as those who belong to the way. See, we are to walk in his way. Then also Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And I think it's an interesting question as you're turning to Acts chapter 19. Are we walking in such a way that people can see that we're in the path of Jesus? Chapter 19, down in verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way, the way. So once again, and then over to chapter 24, still in the book of Acts, chapter 24, coming down to verse 22, Paul is appearing before the governor, Felix, 24, 22. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, the way. This is impressive, is it not? Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. The early church became known as those who walked in the path of Jesus. They were now the way. That was their group, the way that Jesus lived. And now Paul is telling us that we need to walk in such a way to please God. Back here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, to please. The word please means to fit or adapt. To, if you will, fit or adapt yourself in such a way in this life that we please the Lord uh, is very interesting when you look here at uh, the verb It's a present tense verb. So we keep fitting or adapting ourselves to the Lord. It first occurs in Matthew 14, verse six. 
It's when the daughter of Salome did that wicked dance and Herod was pleased. The last use of this term, which appears 17 times from the Greek New Testament, is in 2 Timothy 2.4. Paul is using the illustration of a soldier. And anyone who is enlisted is in the Lord's army, what? To please him, see, to please him who enlisted him. Very, very important. So we need to make sure that we are walking in a way that is pleasing to the Almighty. And now down in verse 2, this is First Thessalonians 4, 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. The word here for connects the remainder with that which was previously stated. So there is a continuation, an argument of thought, if you will. And he appeals once again to the Thessalonians knowledge. You know, it draws the Thessalonians back to Paul's earlier instruction. And here's the reality. So often our issue is not that we need more information and new information. It's, it's good to learn things we've not been instructed with from the past, but we need to make sure that we are applying, employing everything that we have already been taught. Very important for, you know, what commandments here and the, the term commandments has the idea of an announcement to someone who is close to you. But I want you to see here, and this is so very important. That Paul does not make an appeal to the Thessalonians based upon his own authority, but it's through the Lord Jesus. When Paul becomes an apostle, he is a representative of the king of kings and lord of lords. So as Paul preaches the whole counsel of God, as he did to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, as he was following the Lord, he conveys the authority, the power, the right that Jesus gives to him. So our first point, excel spiritually to please God by walking with him and keeping his commandments. We need to abound how more and more. We need to excel. Never be content where you're at spiritually, but press on. It's a daily quest. And sometimes you feel defeated because of your failures. And Paul would say, forget those things which are behind and press toward the goal for the upward prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, there are times when we know we have blown it and we need to look back and say, okay, let's put that under the blood of Christ. First John 1 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us not from some, but all unrighteousness. That's what we need to do but then we need to say i have to keep growing i need to keep maturing we need to excel to please god by walking with him and see this goes hand in hand and keeping his commandments first john 5 3 for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome second point esteem god's will through holy living. This will be verses 3 through 8. 
esteem God's will through holy living. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Notice the word for. This ties together Paul's general exhortation to spiritual growth. Remember in verses 1 and 2, grow more and more. Now, with refraining, staying away from sexual immorality, he goes sort of from the general to the specific. And he says, this is the will of God. And I'd like to point out here where it says will of God in the Greek, there's no article, the word the. In other words, this is not the entire will of God. Yes, this is part of his will for you, as in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that in everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God, but it's a part of his will. There's more to his will than this, just this, but this is very important. The will, the will. This is the will of God. The first time. The term will occurs is when Jesus is instructing the disciples how to pray. And in Matthew 6.10, it's thy what? Will be done. So very important. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And when you are walking in holiness, it is keeping you in the realm that you are supposed to be in. You're pleasing to God and representing him well. For this is the will of God. Notice here, your sanctification. Big term. Sanctification is the process of God whereby the Holy Spirit within us is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. We get perplexed in life about everything that's going on, but this is what you need to know. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, you are marked out ahead of time. That's the word predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This is the process of sanctification. It's a lifetime process. And I want to walk you through the three aspects of sanctification. Number one, and this is important and this is vital, positional sanctification. This is how you are related to Jesus Christ. Two verses. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 2 6. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. The moment. Of your salvation. When you had placed faith in the finished work of Christ. Who died for your sin and conquered death. The spirit of God comes to live within you. But you are also given a new status. You are now a child of God. And technically speaking positionally. Where Christ is at the right hand of God. With all the blessings that he has. He shares those spiritual blessings with us. This is why we stay connected to him in order that we can grow, we can mature, we can understand that because I'm in with Christ, that when I need his mercy, 
I come to the throne of grace. When I need his grace, I'm already connected to Jesus Christ. He'll give me all that I need. When I need long suffering, when I need love, when I need the different characteristics of God in my life, I'm attached. I have a union with Jesus Christ. I'm an heir of God. So therefore, everything I need to lead a victorious life is given to me. So we have no excuse. So that's positional. The second is where the rubber meets the road. Progressive. Progressive. Pursue peace with all men and holiness. That's sanctification. Without which no one will see the Lord. That's Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 14. There is a pursuit. There is something that you have to go after. Once you are positionally in Christ, now your practice is to be daily, daily maturing, daily increasing more and more in your knowledge an application of God's word. We need to pursue peace. And may I say in this wicked and corrupt world, we need to put our blinders on. We need to guard our thoughts. We need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The second Corinthians 10, five, we have to be a people that are moving forward and progressing in our walk with God by remaining Holy, vital, vital to our Christian growth and that we can see God. We can know him. Remember Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. We need to have that relationship with him that is pure so he can guide us. And then finally, the third aspect of sanctification is pending Pending. This refers to the time when Jesus comes back and the process is complete. In 1 Corinthians 15, we learn that we'll be changed in a moment in the blink of an eye. We'll be fully conformed to the image of Christ. That's what chapter 3 back here in 1 Thessalonians, verse 13, is referring to. Notice it says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in what? Holiness. In holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So our sanctification is vital. And then Paul here places side by side the thought, you know, because you have, this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. And then he's going to build upon this and say that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The word here, abstain, is an exegetical infinitive. It explains more fully the nature of sanctification and the word abstain is given. The term abstain first appears from the Greek New Testament in Acts chapter 15 and verse 20. It comes up again in Acts 15, 29 of refraining from idolatry and sexual immorality. You need to abstain. Now, let me give you a little context. 
Paul is writing this letter, most likely from Corinth. The expression, even a Corinthian girl was used of a prostitute. Self-control and restraint were not expected of men married or not in that culture. The mystery religions practice sexual morality as part of their so-called worship. They had ritual prostitution. So as Paul writes to these saints about abstaining from sexual morality, he is in a cesspool. He is surrounded by those who have given themselves over to sexual immorality. And speaking about sexual morality, it means to fornicate or commit any illicit sexual sin. It's labeled as one of the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. And speaking about 1 Corinthians, just so you get an idea of what Paul deals with there, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let your eyes come down to verse 13. This was probably a slogan that the Corinthians had. Verse 13, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. I think perhaps the illusion here is that the Corinthians are saying, you know, when I'm hungry, I eat. And when I have sexual desire, I fulfill it. They were just probably claiming it was a natural thing and they were acting upon what was inside of them. But notice, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Consider that. Then down to verse 18, stand with me in first Corinthians six eighteen. flee sexual immorality. Like Joseph, who had Potiphar's wife attracted to him. He was a good-looking man, and he ran away. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. People will sometimes downplay sexual sin and go, all sin is sin. Well, all sin is sin, but there are serious and lasting implications to sexual immorality. And that is what Paul is communicating to the Corinthians. So back here in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You should know. Develop the practice of purity. That's what you need to do to possess. There's some debate on the translation here, if it should be to acquire or procure, or the idea here to possess. Uh, possess seems to be the right translation. And it says here, his own vessel. Some people have a taught that this is referring to a man's wife. Because in 1 Peter 3, 7, uh, it says that he needs to give honor to his wife as to the weaker vessel. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that he possesses her. The vessel here, I believe, is used figuratively of the human 
body. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that's how the term is used, that we have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels, earthen vessels in clay pots. (laughs) But what do we have in our bodies the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the term is used this way also in the Greek translation of the uh, Old Testament in 1 Samuel 21. Actually, in the Septuagint, it's verse 6. But in the English, it's 1 Samuel 21, 5. Because David is referring to his men and he says, And the vessels of the young men are holy. He's talking about the body. So here the exhortation to possess your own body is the concept of this verse. You need to demonstrate that last fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5.23, of self-control. You are to have mastery over the body. Back in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, nothing is going to master me. Nothing inside or outside of me. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he talks about the need to discipline the body. Lest when he had preached and failed God, he might be disqualified. He might lose out on future rewards. So he disciplined his body and he literally made his body a slave to him. He was not a slave to his body. This is what the indwelling spirit of God can do for us to give us the self-control that is necessary to please God, to honor him with our bodies. So it needs to be here in sanctification, in holiness and honor. We need to value, unlike the Greeks of old, they despised manual labor and they thought poorly of the body. (laughs) There was dualism. Everything that is immaterial, spiritual is good, but anything physical is bad. Paul says, no, 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 no. I need to correct that thinking. The body belongs to the Lord. We need to dedicate our bodies to God. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And to make sure that we have full mastery over them and they are just not leading us. Paul continues in verse 5, not in passion of lust, The neuter noun occurs just three times in the New Testament and all from Paul. Each time it is used in a negative setting. For instance, in Romans 26, it speaks about vile. And then here's your term affections. And then in Colossians chapter three and verse five, it's placed between the word uncleanness and evil desire. So Paul says not in passion of lust. Uh, The term lust technically is neutral, uh, epithemia uh, from the Greek New Testament. The context determines whether it's a good desire, as in Luke 22 in verse 15, when Jesus says, I have a great desire to have the Passover with you. But then it's used often negatively, as it is in 1 John 2 15 to 17, to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, here the term, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So we should not live 
and passion of lust, just like the Gentiles, in this context, the Gentiles, not just those that were non-Jewish, but those who were heathen. The Gentiles who do not know God. Don't live like the idolaters who, as part of their practice, commit sexual immorality in their so-called worship. Verse 6, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this manner. Should take advantage occurs only here from the Greek New Testament. It means to cross a boundary, to sin against another. We should not defraud. To want more is the idea here. To take advantage of who? His brother. Because when we sin within the body of Christ, we are also hurting the body of Christ. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You might remember when Achan from Joshua chapter 6 and 7, remember the destruction of Jericho, but then Achan kept something that did not belong to him. Because the city had been dedicated to God for destruction. I believe that's Joshua 6.17. And Achan kept what did not belong to him. And as a result of that, when the Israelites went into Ai to fight, 36 Israelites lost their lives. That one man's sin had impacted others. And this is how it works in the body of Christ. No man is an island to himself. If one member suffers, we all suffer. Very important that we individually maintain purity, not only for our own walk with the Lord, but that we don't impact others in the body of Christ negatively. Because it goes on to say here that the Lord is the avenger of all such Lord here is referring most likely back to the Lord Jesus Christ from chapter 4 and verse 2. But the avenger, the avenger, someone who's going to mete out justice, as in Romans 13, 4. Speaking there of the executioner who uses the sword for capital punishment against those that have committed a capital offense. So the Lord is the avenger. So when you have sexual sin, the Lord himself will be the judge. Listen to Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. And I, I just need to stop here because I am so familiar with various cultures that somehow think it's fine for a man and woman to live together, never having gone through the legal process to get married. And it's just as if everything is fine and dandy because they've lived together for five years or 15 years. It wouldn't matter if it's 55 years. Do you recall when Jesus deals with the Samaritan woman? You have had five husbands. So five times she had gone through the process. But the one who you now have is not your husband. In other words, you're living in sexual sin with that individual. The Lord made a distinction between those who have a covenant, you know, recognized legally and consummate 
the marriage versus those that are just living together. The Bible calls that fornication or adultery, just depending on the setting. So God's going to judge marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Verse seven, again, the emphasis here on pure living for God did not call us to uncleanness now for the third time, but what in holiness in sanctification and the word not appears first in the Greek sentence. See, God did not call us to uncleanness. We are not to imitate the unsaved world. Whatever their sexual practices are that are contrary to God's word are practices that the child of God cannot participate in, period. We have a standard that the Almighty has given to us that does not change. He who made them in the beginning made them male and female. The design was one man, one woman for life. That was the original plan. That was the original intent. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. That's why you need to master your body. Verse 8, therefore... He who rejects this is not reject man. See, this is not coming from just a human authority, but God. He's also the one who has given us not just the spirit, but let's think about this, the Holy Spirit. So what have we learned? Number one, excel spiritually to please God by walking with him and keeping his commandments never ever ever get to the place where you're totally content with your spiritual growth every day that god gives to you should be a day that you have a quest to know him and to please him in philippians 3 10 paul says that i might know him And the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to grow in his intimacy with Christ. Moses back in Exodus 33 says, Lord, show me your glory. There should be a daily pursuit where we are going after God. Think about it. He initiated the relationship with us. First John 410 here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And gave us his son, a propitiation for our sins. So he initiated to have a relationship with us. And now it's our turn to pursue him, to walk with him. The one who is the way, the truth, the life. Make that your priority in life. Number two, esteem God's will through holy living. You know, at each decade of my life that goes by, I see the world, not just United States of America. I see the Philippines. I see countries in Africa. I see the same in India. The standard for what should be is not. In other words, we have new standards created by people, government officials who have the audacity to redefine What God has so clearly defined from his word. And it's dangerous. So we need to make sure that we don't 
allow this world system to infiltrate our thinking, but we renew our minds regularly through the word of God in order that we can lead holy lives and please our God. Regardless what the world thinks about you, because remember, Joseph was falsely accused back in the book of Genesis. He says, how can I do this thing and sin against my God? At the end of the day, what's really going to matter is what the Lord has to say, how he will evaluate our lives. So let's esteem his will greatly. How? Through holy living. Make those two commitments now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I appreciate the reminder that we need to grow more and more. I pray that would be our ambition to know you in a most personal way daily until we're with you face to face. May our levels of love and maturity increase more and more. And then, Lord, may we esteem your word and holiness highly. In our world, Father, so many Christians are comfortable with standards that are not pleasing to you. By what we watch on TV, music we listen to. I pray, Lord, that you would have us to repent, change our thinking, and then, Lord, to bring every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ, to dedicate our bodies to you once and for all with no compromise. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.